You're listening to The Wildest Night in Vancouver, a podcast reliving the history, trauma, and legacy of the 1907 anti Asian Vancouver riots. Produced by the students of History 271 at the University of British Columbia. Anti Asian sentiment built up in Vancouver as numerous immigrants flooded Canada in the early 1900s. Since they were a source of cheap labor, immigrants were viewed negatively and were not welcomed in many Canadian communities. Along with the immigrants, Japanese businesses took their opportunities in a new land, and what they formed became Japantown. On September 7, 1907, this anti Asian sentiment reached its peak with a race riot in Vancouver attacking Japanese and Chinese residents and businesses. Among these businesses, the Yushin Co. Real Estate Japanese Employment Office Contractors, a property owned by Hayakawa Ichiro that resided in what was originally 232 Westminster Avenue, was also destroyed. Furthermore, like other businesses, this biz- building claimed and were reimbursed a mere $30 in damages. Presently, the building contains the Provincial Vancouver Criminal Court on what is now called 232 Main Street. This building was just one of the many examples of the properties that suffered damages during the race riots. The Prime Minister at the time, Wilfrid Laurier, assigned King the task of managing hearings directly connected to the damages done to the Japanese businesses during the riot. Through these inquiries, King sent out to compensate the damaged Japanese businesses. The riots were largely justified by King, who stated that the riots were caused because of an alarm at immigration numbers, thus, the cry of a white Canada was raised. Furthermore, it was believed that it had been the San Francisco earthquake and the fire that occurred soon after in April 18, 1906, that started the riot. King conducted the first hearings until the 5th of November, 1907, ending approximately two months after the initial riots. Through these hearings, the victims were compensated $9,175, despite around 50 victims claiming $4,500 more in damages and losses. The first hearings were accepted and praised by the Japanese consul, as well as the lawyer who had been representing the claimants. King did not fail to draw attention to the many people that found the number of Asian immigrants extreme, regardless of the situation. A feeling against the sudden influx and large numbers of peoples from other parts of the world is one thing. And it is quite compatible with a desire to maintain the friendliest relations between the people of those countries and ourselves. The first hearings revealed King's intentions in pacifying the situation with the Japanese government and to further his ultimate objective of a white Canada. During the process of conducting the first hearings, it was revealed that the increase in Asian immigration during the summer of 1907 occurred due to labor contracting companies incorrectly hiring Japanese workers. The second hearings, once again conducted by King, were carried out in order to find out the causes of the riot. These hearings occurred from the 11th to the 30th of November 1907 and were focused around the methods by which Oriental laborers have been induced to come to Canada. To look into the causes of the riot, King used the Canadian Nippon Supply Company's forensic audit. Through his research, he was able to find figures regarding the Asian migrants that have arrived in BC during the months January to October in 1907. The 11,440 migrants that had arrived consisted of 8,125 Japanese, 1,266 Chinese, and 2,047 South Asians. However, these figures also included immigrants who were already residing in Canada, as well as migrants who were planning to leave for the United States. 
Of the 8,125 Japanese that had arrived, 2,619 people left for the United States soon after. The 4,429 Japanese people that had remained had largely come from Hawaii, where the sugarcane plantations had declined, leading to a mass migration. Since these migrants had already arrived to the United States, they were out of the control of the Japanese government. There, the Japanese government's power ending with the territorial limit was crossed. The Japanese immigrants that had come directly from Japan numbered 1,641, in which 300 were landed, 190 were relatives, and 100 of the immigrants were merchants or students. From the 1,641 immigrants, 900 immigrants were involved with the Canadian Nippon Supply Company, hired for work related to the CPR and mines. It was at this time that King made his conclusion surrounding the cause of the riot. The alarm at immigration numbers has caused the riot. Thus, the cry of white Canada was raised. By directing attention towards labor contractors such as the Canadian Nippon Supply Company, King searched for a scapegoat in order to redirect the attention and responsibility of the violent attacks against the Japanese and Chinese communities. However, it was not lost on some that corporations were not the only ones involved in the act of importing foreign workers, as the government encouraged white labor from Europe. Although the first two hearings revolved around the Japanese victims, the third and final inquiry addressed the Chinese victims and the losses from the riots that occurred in Chinatown. The initial two hearings were finished in Vancouver before King left for England. In that period, the Chinese government appealed to have the losses of the Chinese community assessed. King was then promptly given the task of conducting a final inquiry on the Chinese community by Laurier. King arrived in Vancouver in late May and proceeded with the hearings, which lasted from the 26th of May to the 5th of June, 1908. During the hearings, King concluded that the Chinese community members were not allowed to claim damages for their purchases of a considerable quantity of firearms and ammunition, which they had bought as a precaution after the initial attacks they had suffered. In the end, the Chinese, despite having received greater damage to their properties, received less than their Japanese counterparts. Soon after, in the fall, King won his seat in Ontario after an election. It is clear that after Japan's victory in the Sino and Russo-Japanese Wars, Japanese immigration gradually resumed until a large influx in 1907 sparked a riot in Vancouver. The Anglo-Japanese alliance of 1902 between Japan and the British Empire has put Canada in a position caught up between two empires, especially after Canada officially became part of the Anglo-Japanese treaties. I heard from Lemieux, Minister of Labor, that Japanese government initially resisted to limit Japanese emigration, but possibly conservative government repudiating treaty and reports of Anglo-Japanese alliance less favorably viewed forced Meiji government to receive such mission. United States President Theodore Roosevelt invited Mackenzie King to discuss about strategies regarding the immigration issue. He asked me whether I was going to visit England during the lunchtime conversation. When I said I might, the president asked me to deliver a confidential message to London on his behalf. I want to make Japan realize that she will have to face the same feeling in the British Empire, which she does in the American Republic. I would appreciate if you ask for British assistance since the America is an ally of Japan. But Japan must learn that they will have to keep their people in their own country. I believe that the Japanese government was refusing to limit emigration to the U.S., and they are simply taking advantage of our politeness. 
something in the nature of the Monroe Doctrine for the continent of North America in regard to the immigration of peoples from the Orient is desirable. In fact, immigration bans from Asian countries, especially Japan and China, are common interests not only of Canada, Britain, and the United States, but also of Australia. After the Vancouver riot, immigration issue was shared concern of Asiatic issue, which the countries cut separate deals and immediately with Japan, clearly, it was internalization of Asian exclusion. There is no doubt in the world that the interests of the Pacific Slope, north and south of the boundary line, were the same. Based on the talk I had with President Roosevelt, I thought the war might break out between Japan and the U.S. The day had been golden, but there was a cloud hovering over it. It looks as though I were to help to preserve peace between nations. King went to London and met with Lord Elgin, John Morley, Edward Gray, and other officials to discuss about immigration quotas with Britain and the diplomacy mission of delivering confidential message from Roosevelt. Since the Vancouver riot propelled in taking action to limit immigration from South Asia as well, the meeting formulated based on such subject matter. A native of India is not a person suited to this country because he is used to a tropical climate, has manners and customs so unlike those of our own, and is possessed of an inability to readily adapt. The privation and suffering render a discontinuance of such immigration most desirable in the interest of the Indians themselves. After the meeting, King recommended Laurier government to revise Immigration Act, not because he cared about anti-Asian sentiment, but because he did not want to mess around with fellow British subjects in another part of the empire. Mr. Nakamura, Japanese consul, came to my room and told me that Japan had given notice of cancelling the treaty with Canada. We discussed possible dates of its renewal. I foresee difficulties over labor immigration clauses, but think some form of treaty should be concluded and better this session. Prime Minister Arthur Mahan wrote to the British Prime Minister arguing that further renewal of the Anglo-Japanese alliance will pose a risk to the Anglo-American supremacy policy in the Pacific. He insisted on terminating the alliance for the purpose of adjusting Pacific and Far Eastern questions in order to replace it with a new treaty in which Japan was rendered a junior partner to Anglo-American hegemony in the Pacific. Under King, policies were put in place to, in order to further prevent Asian immigration. For example, the Chinese Exclusion Act of 1923 was created by King and his government, along with strict restrictions that capped the immigration quotas to a mere 150 per year. The riots were only the beginning of the anti-Asian sentiment that surrounded Canada and its agenda of a white Canada. What is left to me is just a memory. The Wildest Night in Vancouver is produced by students in History 271 at the University of British Columbia under the direction of Tristan Gruno. This series was sponsored by the UBC Department of History and supported by the Public History Initiative. Special thanks to the UBC Faculty of Arts, ISIT, and 101.9 CITR Campus Radio. Thank you for listening.